0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am in Acts chapter 16. I'm going to cover the first ten verses of Acts 16. This will be the beginning of Paul and Silas's second missionary journey, or Paul's second missionary journey. Silas is accompanying him. They are coming from Syrian Antioch, which of course is where their home church is from, and where from where Paul started all three of his missionary journeys. He has left Barnabas, who went with him on his first journey. They had their falling out because of John Mark's abandonment on the first journey at Perga. And so Paul has taken Silas, and he, at the very end of Acts 15, it says that they went through churches in Syria, and Cilicia strengthened the churches. That was the very beginning of the second journey. And now we pop all the way over to Derby and Lystra in the middle of Asia, Galatian province. And that's where we will begin. Our discussion in Acts chapter 16, starting with verse 1, Then he, that's Paul, went on to Derby and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman. That woman was named Eunice, and his, but his father was a Greek. Now, when was this? It says, Then he went on to Derby and Lystra. Then when? Well, the second journey was 49 to 52 AD. Now, if you will look at a map of Paul's second missionary journey, you will see that Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, of the, this is Pisidian Antioch, are four cities right on, in the Pisidian district, right on the edge of Galatia, maybe including Galatia. Those, those districts are not exactly fixed. They change over time. The Romans gave them different names at different times. But that's generally the area. It's right basically in central Anatolia, modern-day Turkey. These are the same cities that Paul went to on his first journey, and now he's retracing his tracks, covering, uh, strengthening the the churches there. So let's talk about this disciple they picked up. Now, they either picked him up, Timothy. They either picked him up at Derby or Lister. It's not clear because it says then he went on to Derby and Lister, Derby and Lister, where there was a disciple named Timothy. Most people think it was Lister where they picked up Timothy. Some people say it's Derby. Well, since we got to, Paul got to Derby first, let's talk about Derby first. It, it was the home of Gaius, who was another worker with Paul. Acts 20, verse 4. He, Paul, was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby. So that's about all we know about Derby, and not much about Gaius either. Derby was in the southeastern part of another subregion called Lycaonia. If you look at a map of Turkey, you'll see. Nicaonia, that was a region of Galatia right there in the center. Again, if you look at the map of Anatolia, present-day Turkey, the western coast and a little bit further east is what was called Asia. The center part was called Galatia, and the eastern part was called Cappadocia. Those were probably Roman names which were given. There were other Hellenic Greek names given to uh, to regions within the Province, which we'll talk about later, but those three names will give you a general feel for what things look like in Turkey Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Pisidian Antioch are basically in the center, right there in, in the region which we call Galatia. And Lycaonia was a part of that region, and that's where Derby was. Now, Lystra was a Roman colony, it was about 60 miles from Derby, Derby was about 300 miles from. Syrian Antioch where they start where Paul and Silo started their journey. That's as the crow flies. So they went a long way without really accomplishing anything that we know about. They got to Derby. Then they went to Lystra, which is about 60 miles away. Then they went to Iconium, which is about 20 miles further away a little bit to the north. And then they went from Iconium to Pisidian Antioch, which is about hundred miles away. So that gives you a feel for how far they were traveling. Lystra, where he is now on the second journey, is a place where he had been stoned and left for dead on the first journey, Acts 14:19. Then some Jews came from Antioch, that's Pisidian Antioch, and Iconium, and when they had won over the crowds and stoned Paul, they dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. So he's going back to the same place that stoned him before. Paul was not afraid of controversy. He was not afraid for his life. He went back to encourage that young church there. The first journey was, say, 46 to 48. The second journey is 49 through 52. I'm, I'm giving dates I've gotten off the Internet. I'm sure they're right, approximately. So we're talking about not just a couple of years early, not too long ago, Paul had been to Lystra. Well, anyway, he gets to Lystra, and we're going to assume that's where he meets Timothy. Now, Timothy, Paul called a young man 15 years later in 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one despise your youth. Now because of that, because this was 15 years later, a lot of people got the idea that Paul picked up a teenager here in Lystra. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown said Timothy must be in his teens, and yet he was well-spoken of in Iconium and in Lystra, as we'll read in just a minute. A teenager well-spoken of? I don't think so. I don't think Paul would take a teenager alone to be an apostle. Really? Hey, Mama Eunice, let me take your son out here so we can be in dangers of to- of rivers and robbers and such. No, don't think so. Wikipedia says Timothy was born in 17 AD. This is around 50 AD. That makes Timothy roughly around in his early 30s, around 33 years old. Paul was born in 5 AD, so that makes him 12 years older than Timothy. So he's talking about a young man. Don't let no one despise your youth, not despise a teenager's youth, but a young man's youth. And people will despise somebody who's in their early 30s. Let's face it, And besides, Timothy was young compared to Paul. So let's assume that Timothy was in his early 30s. Paul picks him up. He must have seen something in Timothy to pick him up. Well, let's look at something what Paul knew about Timothy. He says in 2 Timothy 3.15, And you know that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul must have noticed that Timothy was teaching people knowing the scriptures. So that probably floated his boat. He also told Timothy that Timothy was destined for ministry for God in 1 Timothy 1.18. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you so that by them you may strongly engage in battle. So he recognized that some prophecies had been made over Timothy about him being in the ministry. And he mentions this again in 1 Timothy 4.14. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, and I assume that's the gift of being an elder, it was given to you through prophecy, with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the same people who were elders gave Timothy the prophecy. His fellow, el- his, his fellow elders didn't necessarily prophesy that, because pro- prophets can be different than elders. Of course, there's nothing to say that they weren't elders. They can be the same. Excuse me, there's nothing to say that the elders weren't also prophets. There's nothing that says that people cannot have more than one gift. Paul the Apostle did. He was a teacher, he was an apostle, and also point out that even though Timothy traveled with Paul a lot, when he settled down, I guess it was at Ephesus, when he settled down and stayed in a church, then he was an elder. And it makes sense because apostles do the same sort of work that elders do. Apostles start churches, get them started, they're interested in administration and organization, and then elders have got to manage what the apostles start, and so the gifts sort of overlap a little bit. So Timothy was an apostle, he was an elder also. But at any rate, Paul sees this guy. He sees he's gifted from ministry because later on. Now, he might not have seen it right at the spot. I'm speculating on that but because First, first Timothy was written about 15 years later. But at some point, Paul saw that, that gift it was in him. And so maybe he saw that at this point when he first met Timothy. I don't know. But there's something about Timothy that attracted him to ask him to join this dangerous missionary journey. Now, he had known Silas for a long time. But he just runs into Timothy, and he really is impressed by him. What does Timothy mean, by the way? The Greek name it either means honored by God or one that honored God. In other words, Timothy might be the one honoring God, or he might be the one receiving honor from God. It comes from the Greek word Time, which means honor. Now, John Gill speculates that Timothy may have actually been converted by Paul, because Paul later calls him his son. 1 Timothy 1.18, he says, Timothy, my son. Nice speculation. I don't know. At any rate, Timothy's a nice replacement for John Mark. Remember, Paul booted Mark off the missionary team uh, before the second journey even got started. And so now he's got another young man to help Timothy. Notice how you got old men, young men, you got helpers, you got the old guy training the young guy, discipling the young guy. All right, going back to our first verse here in Acts 16, we see that Timothy's father is mentioned. His father was a Greek. Then he went to Derby and Lystra where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman Eunice, but his father was a Greek. Now it doesn't, this passage, Luke mentions that his mother was a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The implication was he's a non-believing guy because there's no mention of him being believing. Again, that's an argument from silence, but it does sound like that Timothy's father, whoever he was, was not a believer. Now, here in this verse, in Acts sixteen one, Timothy's mother's faith is mentioned. Paul also mentioned it again in 2 Timothy 1, 5. Clearly recalling your sincere faith, Paul writes to Timothy, your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois, and then in your mother Eunice. So that sincere faith passed down from three generations, Lois the grandmama, Eunice the mama, and Timothy the son and the grandson. That sincere faith. So from his mama's side, he had a lot of faith. His father's side, probably not. He, let, he was probably not a God-fearer, a proselyte of the gate, because he left his sons uncircumcised. Because In verse 3, in just a minute, we're going to see that Paul had Timothy circumcised after he recruited him to the missionary team. So Timothy came from a mixed marriage. Mixed marriages were probably common in the Diaspora, where the Jews were not so concentrated. That's not surprising. We go to verse 2. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. That's why I don't think he's a teenager. Timothy had obviously been working in his local area there in Galatia, in Pisidia, which was a sub-region of Galatia. He had probably been working there in these churches, namely Lystra, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. And he had gotten a reputation. And that, and Paul saw that. He heard them speak highly of Timothy, and he says, hmm, good recommendation, Good, fa- good spiritual parentage. Think I'll take this guy. And when it says the brothers of Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him, it's not referring to the father, of course, it's talking about Timothy. We go to verse three in Acts sixteen. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. In other words, all the Jews knew that Timothy was not really Jewish, because his father was a Greek, even though his mother was Jewish, his father was a Greek, so they considered Timothy, a Greek also, which means he was not circumcised. And that's going to be a big stumbling block when Paul tries to take Timothy into synagogues to teach. We're going to take an uncircumcised Gentile into the synagogue. You traveling, Rabbi Paul, who are you kidding? So Paul had Timothy circumcised. Now, first question, is this not putting Timothy back under the law? I mean, we see on this second journey, one of the things that Paul's going to be doing, we'll see this in a minute, he was distributing the letter containing the decisions made at the Jerusalem Council. And what were those decisions? We're not going to put the Gentiles back under the law. They do not need to get saved by getting circumcised. They do not need to get circumcised in order to be saved. So why is Paul doing this? Well, because he was not he was not circumcised Timothy in order to get him saved. Nobody thought that. He was t- circumcised Timothy so he would not make the Jews stumble so they would accept the ministry. And this is the same reason why the four prohibitions of the Jerusalem Council were passed. No eating of blood, no eating of strangled animals, no eating of meat sacrificed idols and so forth. Why? To keep them from stumbling. Not to say that they needed to get saved by not eating idol meat but to keep the Jews from stumbling and, and and receiving offense. So this was expediency as the NIV study Bible and Adam Clark say. This action of circumcision of Timothy was expediency so that the work among the Jews would be more effective. Now there was another case of circumcision with one of Paul's workers that's different and I used to have a hard time distinguishing the two so let's look at that this is the Galatians 2 3 through 5 and it concerns Titus Paul says this to the Galatians but not even Titus who was with me though he was a Greek was compelled to be circumcised ah so he circumcises Timothy the Greek Timothy and the Greek Titus he refuses to circumcise what's the difference Verse four, Galatians two, this issue arose because a false brother smuggled in who came in secretly to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. And what he's saying is, this is when Paul took Titus in Jerusalem, I think it was. He's saying, look, they're all saying that you got to be circumcised to get saved. And if I circumcise Titus, it will look like to everybody around that I believe that Titus can't be saved unless he's circumcised because that was the issue at hand because of these false brothers, these fake Christians who keep saying you got to get circumcised in order to get saved. So that's a whole different situation. So again, to circumcise or not to circumcise, that, my friends, depends on the situation. If you can do it to keep the Jews from stumbling, well, fine, circumcise somebody. But if, you, if, you, if in order to do it, you give aid and comfort to people who say that you have to be circumcised in order to get saved, well, then don't do it. John Gill points out that without circumcising Timothy, even normal social intercourse with the Jews would have been impossible. We've already said it would be impossible to go to the synagogues first, obviously, which was their normal pattern, but they couldn't even eat with the Jews, with the uncircumcised Greek. That was considered an abomination, as John Gill points out. What Paul is doing here is what he told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9.20, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. So Paul himself, and by extension Timothy, he was not putting them under the law. Though not being myself under the law, Paul says, he was not putting Timothy under the law, but what he was doing, he was trying to win Jews. To those under the law... I became as one under the law, as one under the law. In other words, he's not really one under the law. He's as, he's similar to, but not really under the law, so that he might win those under the law, under the Mosaic law. We note the phrase here in Acts 16:3. Why did he do this circumcision of Timothy? Because of the Jews who were in these places. In other words, he didn't want to cause those Jews to stumble. We go to Acts 16, verse 4. As they, this is Paul and Silas and Timothy now, as they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for them to observe. And those towns, of course, were Derby, Lystri, Iconium, and and Antioch. The decisions were reached by the apostles at the Jerusalem Council. Let's read, the, read that, Acts 15:20. But instead, we should write to them, to the Gentiles, to abstain from things polluted by idols, number one. Number two, abstain from sexual immorality. Number three, abstain from eating anything that has been strangled. And number four, abstain from blood. So let me just give you a quick summary of the decisions made at the Jerusalem Council, which was in a letter which Paul was carrying and gave to all the churches there here on the second journey. First of all, at the Jerusalem Council, it was decided that circumcision and keeping the law is not required for Gentiles to be saved. So in your face, legalist, forget that. However, there were four things that Gentile believers should do in order to keep the Jews from stumbling. Number one, and one of those was obvious, sexual immorality. Even Gentiles shouldn't be doing that whether they made the Jews stumble or not. That has nothing to do with the Jews stumbling, obviously. But the other three did because they were legal. They were illegal under Mosaic law, but they were not immoral. For example, not eating animal, animal, animals strangled means the blood was still in them. That violated mosaic, the Mosaic Law. Uh, abstain from blood, that probably means the same thing, really. Don't drink the blood straight after it's been drained from the meat. And don't eat idol meat, things sacrificed to idols. I don't know if that was specifically for, for forbidden by the Mosaic Law. It would definitely make a Jew stumble, whether it was directly prohibited or not. And The point is, my point mainly is that there's nothing wrong with Gentiles doing that in their normal lives, but as a matter of comity, as a matter of taking care of Jewish prejudices, of avoiding them to stumble, avoiding a, a, an, a, an occasion for them to stum- stumble, just don't do that. So that was the Jerusalem Council. And so Paul told all the churches there that's what was decided. Acts 16, verse 5. So the churches, that's again, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Pisidian, Antioch, the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. And, of course, Luke is always, as I have mentioned earlier in other audios, and whenever he gets to a place where the numbers are getting bigger, he mentions it because he's trying to show the expansion of the, of the gospel. And notice the increase was every day. That's good news, boy. There's nothing better than when the church is expanding. And unfortunately, in America, we're not in that situation. When I was in China for 23 years, I was in that situation to see the churches growing like crazy. It's just wonderful. So Luke mentions it here. Now notice there, the, the increase in number daily means that the disputations with the legalists at Antioch did not harm the progress of the gospel. And why did those fights over legalism not harm the progress of the gospel? Because the church took care of the problem at the Jerusalem Council. Application point here, if you've got something that's inimical to the faith, deal with it. Don't sweep it under the rug. Oh, you got homosexual serving in your church, and that might cause people to stumble. Because of our culture today, we don't want to be intolerant. You better deal with it, folks, because it will hinder the progress of the gospel. Another little question here. Well, before I go into that, let's let's let me let me say something about that Jerusalem Council again. It was very successful. It worked in that sending the letter out. It worked. Got rid of the biggest problem. That early church had was the problem of legalism and how do we integrate the gentiles into the church it worked and so the churches increased in number daily now there's an ambiguity here it could mean the number of churches increased. they met in homes so it could have been the number of homes that were hosting churches increased every day or it could mean the individuals in the churches were increased in number daily it's ambiguous we don't know it could be both of course but with a limitation, you can only increase the size of an individual church so far before you outstrip the size of the home. Now, wealthy people might have put about 70 people in, in a house, but uh, non-wealthy people, average people, could not probably not hold that many. But the point is, they weren't in houses. They weren't in religious temples. They weren't in Christian church buildings because they didn't exist then. They didn't exist until about 250, 300 A.D. for another couple of years. And so they're spreading out. Leavening in the Roman Empire. Act 16.6 They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and were prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in Asia. Now the they is, then NIV has Paul and his companions, but who basically he's talking about is Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Now we've got some geography to deal with, and if you're going to study the missionary journeys, you have to look at the geography, g- geography of Turkey, present-day Turkey. So let's do that real quick. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. If you look at the map of Anatolia, present day Anatolia is the name of the landmass. Turkey is the name of the present day country that's there. Back in Paul's time, the Romans governed it, and the Romans were governing this region of Anatolia, which used to be settled by the Greeks, and so there were Hellenistic names all all through the the continent, the uh, through Anatolia. And the interesting thing is, is Luke liked to use the Greek names, the Hellenistic names, and Paul liked to use the Roman names. Well, we're in Acts, and Luke wrote it, so we're going to try to look at the Greek names the most. I guess the best way to start is to start on the western coast of Anatolia. Troas is the Hellenistic region right to the north, extreme northwest, right on right south of Troas is Lydia, which is in the west on the western coast, right in the center, going from north to south. Lydia is a famous ancient kingdom because the richest king in the ancient Near Eastern world, Croesus, was the king there. And if you study Greek history, Lydia is always popping up. It was a bone of contention between the Greeks and the Persians. So Lydia is, but anyway, Lydia is on the the western coast in the center. And you go a little bit south on on the southwestern coast of Anatolia and you see the province of Caria, very famous. Where Halicarnassus was, Halicarnassus was where Herodotus, the father of history, the famous Greek historian, was from. Where the island of Kos was, where the famous doctor Hippocrates is from, from where, from whom we get the Hippocratic Oath. And then we go down even further and go down, east, go south and east. Sort of, there's a little promontory sticking out into the Mediterranean Sea called Lycia. Okay, all of that region was called Asia. Now the center part of the Anatolian province is called Anatolian landmass, I should say, is called Galatia, and that's the broad sense of the term. The narrow sense of the term has Galatia as a province right dead center, and then Phrygia is right to the east of Galatia and to the, excuse me, to the west of Galatia and to the east of Lydia. So, Phrygia is right between Lydia and Galatia. Now, So when Luke says they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, we have to see where they were. They were at Pisidian Antioch, which was at the southern end of Phrygia and Galatia. Phrygia and Galatia is to the north of Pisidian Antioch. So they're heading north. They go through Phrygia and Galatia and it doesn't say about where they went there. Probably they're probably right on the border of Phrygia and Galatia as they're heading north. And somewhere, Paul... Silas and Timothy were prevented by the Holy Spirit from spreading the message in Asia. Asia, which of course would be due west. So they went north, Phrygia and Galatia. Where do we go next? The Holy Spirit says, don't go over here to Asia Minor. Now that would have been a logical place to go because that place is very famous. I mean, Western philosophy started there in Miletus. Ephesus that was there, a big trading center. So it was a strategic area to go there, but they didn't go there because they were prevented by the Holy Spirit. Now, We don't need to feel bad about it. The seven churches of of the book of Revelation were there in the West in in Asia. They were there. So even though Paul and Silas and Timothy didn't go there, God sent somebody else there. The application point here is don't worry about where God sent you. Don't worry about if somebody else is not getting the gospel. He can get the gospel there somehow else. Your job and my job is to do what the Holy Spirit tells us to do and to not do what he prevents us from doing. Next question is, why? Why would God keep these apostles from this area that's ripe for evangelism? Well, that's because Europe was r- ripe for evangelism, and God wanted Paul to cross the hell spot to go into Europe, into Thrace, and continue over there into Greece, which is what he eventually ended up doing. Now, so, God, so they, they were there. They could have gone west to Asia Minor. They didn't, but the seven churches of Jerusalem ended up there anyway, so it didn't matter. They also could have gone east. And gone back into Cappadocia. Heading back toward their home starting base. They didn't. They could have gone north. To Bithynia. To Pontus. Which is on the southern shore of the Black Sea. They didn't. But did it matter? Well, other instruments were used to establish the gospel there. And Peter was probably one of them. Jameson and and Brown speculates. Why? Because in 1 Peter 1. Verse 1. We read this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To the temporary residence dispersed in Pontus, which is north on the Black Sea, north and east. Galatia, again, that's the area that Paul and Silas and Timothy are prevented from going to, but nonetheless, there are churches there in Galatia. Cappadocia, Paul never went there. Silas, they could have gone, you know, doubled back east and gone back home, but there were churches there started anyway, even though Paul didn't do it. And Asia, as I've already mentioned, the seven churches in Asia Minor. Peter mentions them again in verse 1. It's 1 Peter 1. And Bithynia, which is due north of Phrygia and Galatia. Bithynia on the southern coast of the Black Sea. People, churches got started there too. So you see the churches starting everywhere. There's all kinds of apostles we never even heard about. All kinds of missionaries going out, doing the work of Christ, starting the church, spreading the church so that Christianity could become a worldwide religion. I mentioned earlier how the Holy Spirit prevented the apostles from going to Asia. I mentioned some possibilities. Let me mention some possibilities from John Gill. He says it was by an inner witness, perhaps. Adam Clark, the NIV Study Bible, says it was by an unnamed prophet. That's the NIV Study Bible's suggestion. Another and The next three are suggestions by the NIV Study Bible. Perhaps the apostles had a vision. Maybe circumstances just prevented them from going. They couldn't find passage. The weather was bad. Who knows? Or maybe they just used their good sense. although I don't know why good sense would keep them from going to, to, to Asia Minor. I don't, I don't understand why the NBA Study Bible says that. But anyway, the application is clear. Sometimes setbacks are really God directing you to a more fruitful place, a place that is in his will. So, any, you know, anytime you witness to somebody, there's always somebody else you can witness to, but you want to be directed by the Holy Spirit to witness to those that God wants you to witness to. You'll be much more fruitful that way. Now, Jameson Foss and Brown point out that Paul must have known that these prohibitions meant a major change in the direction of his ministry. In other words, God was shutting the door so he could kick the birds out of the nest and get them over there to Europe. A lot further away, a lot more dangerous. Their lines of communication from Syria and Antioch are really cut off now. They're really going a long way from home. Now, let's speculate as to why the founding of churches in Phrygia and Galatia are not mentioned. Once again, in verse six of Acts 16, six, Paul and his companions were forbidden to go through Galatia and Asia, and and even though they were, excuse me, were prevented from going to Asia, as they were in Phrygia and Galatia, but no churches were established there. Why were no churches established there? Well, here's some options as to why. James Boston Brown says, "Not easy to say. We don't know, but here's some options." Perhaps because Luke had not joined the party yet, they needed some, another ministry team member. I don't believe that. Paul and were per and Timothy were perfectly capable of evangelizing and starting churches. Perhaps, Adam Clark says, it's because Luke wanted to quickly get to events in Europe and he just passed over. The fact that the churches were started by the apostolic team in Phrygia and Galatia, that very well could be. Adam Clark says that the mainstream of the church's development was from Jerusalem to Rome, and he wants to continue. Luke wants to continue the narrative. We're already up, gone from Jerusalem to Antioch, a little bit north, and now we're going from Antioch across Anatolia, heading for Rome, heading west for Europe and Rome. And so Luke wanted to continue going that way, and Phrygia and Galatia were not directly on that line of development. Well, for whatever reason, Paul and his Ministry workers were prohibited from speaking the message in Asia, and so we now move from verse 6 to verse 7. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. All right, Mysia, if you will look at the map of Anatolia, the extreme northwestern corner is where Troas is. That's where Troy, the famous Trojan horse, story of the Iliad, that's where that took place. And Troas, at the extreme northwestern corner of present-day Turkey, is right on the southeastern shore of the Hellespont, which is that thin strait of water that runs from the Aegean Sea into the Sea of Marmara, Marmara, or the Propontis, as they called it back then. And the Propontis then runs through a little tiny sliver of water called the Bosphorus, which runs into the Black Sea. And so there's a huge trade from Asia from uh, let's let's say R- present day Russia up there where all the, that was the breadbasket of the ancient world up there, one of them and all that grain and trade would go through the Bosphorus into the Propontis through the D- Hellespont well, Troas is right there and so that's one landmark now if you look at the Propontis the Sea of Marmara and you go from Troas a little bit east, that's the s- province of Mysia, so now the uh, Paul and his fellow apostles have gone from Phrygian Galicia, which is in the central part of, central and a little bit western part of Turkey, and now they're going northwest and they're in Mysia. They're not quite to the northwestern corner at Troas yet. They're in Mysia. Now Mysia, if you go west, you end up in Troas. If you go northeast, you end up in Bithynia, which is on the southern coast of the Black Sea the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go. So once again, we have this prevention, this closing of the door, again, by vision, by dream, by circumstances, by an inner impression. However, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go. Now notice how the Spirit of Jesus is used interchangeably with the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of Jesus is also used interchangeably with God. Well, let's start with Acts 5, 3 through 4, and show how the Holy Spirit and God are the same thing. These are the verses that theologians ended up reading back in the early years of the church and figured out there was a trinity. Acts 5 verses 3 through 4. Then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of your proceeds from the field? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart and you have not lied to men but to God? So in verse 3 Peter says you've lied to the Holy Spirit. In verse 5 he says you've lied to God. So you've lied to the same being. The Holy Spirit and God is the same thing. In verse, So how about the Spirit of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the second person of the Trinity and the third person? Acts 16.7 says the Spirit of Jesus prevented the apostles. We look back at Acts 16.6 and we see that the apostles were prevented by the Holy Spirit. So they're prevented by the Holy Spirit. They're prevented by the Spirit of Jesus. Well, I didn't say that exactly right. The Spirit of Jesus is also the third person, but the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus are equated. Let's put it that way. And the Holy Spirit and God are equated. All right, so they were prevented by the Holy Spirit from going into Bithynia. But do we feel sorry for the Bithynians for not getting the gospel? Well, by the end of the first century, Bithynia was filled with Christians. A lot of unnamed evangelists, people we don't know and will never know, spread the gospel. People like you and me, people that nobody's ever heard of. How do we know this? Because of the famous letter that Pliny wrote back to the emperor. That was... um. I forgot when that letter was written. But at any rate, the Holy Spirit's not worried about preventing the apostles from te- preaching in certain places. He has his plan. We need to listen to his plan. Let somebody else take care of what we can't take care of. We go to verse 8. So bypassing Mysia, they came down to Troas. All right, that's due west of Mysia. Troas, as I said, it was on the northwestern shore of the Anatolian province, on the southeastern shore of the Hellespont. That famous strait of water that leads eventually up into the Black Sea. And if you cross the Hellespont, you end up in Europe. That little uh, sliver of land, that peninsula that, that you would end up on, is called, well, it was called Chersonese in ancient Greece, and it was called Gallipoli in modern world. That's where Winston Churchill almost lost his career in World War I. He lost the famous Battle of Gallipoli against the Turks in World War One. And once you cross that Hellespont there, that sliver of water you end up in Europe. And this is a key point in the spread of the gospel because now Europeans are going to get to hear the gospel. Now Troas, that name Troas, is very similar to Troy. and There's a reason for that because that's exactly where Troy is located. They found it. The traditional date of the Trojan War is 1154 B.C., but nobody knows if that's exactly right. So late, or let's say early 12th century, late 13th century, you had the famous Trojan War there with the Trojan horse and all that. Of course, a lot of it's tied up with the myth, the Iliad, the poem, but I just think it's kind of interesting that Troy has been found and it's there, and this is where Paul is. He's going to make some more history, though. Maybe not as famous as the Trojan War, but he's going to make some more history, because here he has a dream that sends him over to Europe, the so-called Macedonian Call. Now, the NIV Study Bible says Troas was 10 miles from ancient Troy, and I don't believe that the, the... similarity of names is a coincidence i don't know that but i'm pretty sure that troas and troia are, are similar for a reason it was a roman colony its full name was alexandria troas it was a major seaport that connected europe with asia minor as i said this was on the border of europe and asia when i say asia minor asia minor is asia the western coast of turkey sometimes asia refers to the whole continent asia minor refers to the whole the whole landmass of anatolia but sometimes it refers to the the western portion of it, but it doesn't matter. The point is, is this is a key, key connecting point with trade between Europe, Greece, and Asia. This all according to the NIV study Bible. Troas is also notable because Paul returned to Troas after his stay in Ephesus on his third journey. 2 Corinthians 2.12 says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, the Lord opened the door for me. That's later on after the third journey. We'll get to that later. The church was started here either on the second or the third journey. We're not sure whether Paul started the church here or whether he, on that third journey I just mentioned, whether he started it then after his third journey or during his third journey. Don't know. But at any rate, there was a church started there. And we noticed that Paul ministered to Troas on his third journey. Acts 20 verses 5 Well, it's actually on the way to Jerusalem after the third journey. I should put it that way. Acts 20 verses 5 through 6. These men went on ahead and waited for us in Troas several of Paul's companions, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. In five days we reached them at Troas, where we spent seven days. So they were at Troas ministering there. This is the place, famous place where Eutychus fell out of the window listening to Paul's speech in the hot, muggy candlelight, probably sucked the oxygen out of the room. Eutychus is in a window listening to Paul, and he falls asleep and falls out the window. They had to raise him from the dead. We go to verse 9. During the night, a vision appeared to Paul. Now, he's at Troas still. Remember, he's right. On the, all he's got to do is cross those straits, and he's in Europe. In the vision, Paul sees this. A Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, the geography is this. You cross the Hellespont, and the very northern part of the Aegean Sea is what was called Thrace. You curve around, going west, and now starting to move south eventually you will get down into Macedonia, which is right north of Greece. So you go to Thrace first and then Macedonia. The Macedonian man, he was not exactly, in, he was a little bit off, a little bit further away than Thrace was. But Thrace is on the way to Macedonia. And so he's saying, come on down here. Of course, Macedonia is where Thessalonica was, or Salonica, which is still there today. Philippi was over there. Very famous churches. Got letters written to them that we read in our Bibles. So this is important. Come on over. Now, there's no indication that this man was Luke, as the NIV study Bible points out. Some people have suggested that. Nah, that's just a speculation. However, people speculate that Luke joined the party at Troas because this is where the famous we passages start. The next verse, we see that after he Paul had seen the vision, we made efforts to set out for Macedonia. So we're going to assume that Paul, and we know that Luke was there at Troas because he wrote the book and he's referring to himself in the first person, now we. Some people speculate that actually Luke joined the party earlier at Pisidian Antioch. John Gill says that. Why? Because Luke is said to have been a physician from Pisidian Antioch. Some kind of tradition Gill ran across. He says this, quote, Whether he, Luke, came with the apostle from Antioch, Pisidian Antioch, whether he met the apostle at Troas is not certain. Well, most people say he was at Troas is where he picked up Luke, so we'll assume that. Now, John Gill and Adam Clark speculate that this was really a dream instead of a vision because it happened at night. And usually you're asleep at night. If you see something when you're sleeping, it's a dream. If you see something when you're awake, it's a vision. Well, I don't think just because it's at night. Maybe it was before he went to bed. Or maybe he went to bed and woke up in the middle of the night and then saw the vision. Well, I'm going to take it for what it says. A vision appeared to him while he was awake. Jameson, Foss and Brown say that, and I agree with them. We go to verse 10. After he, Paul, had seen the vision, we. Now, who's the we now? Well, it's Paul and Silas who started out from Antioch. Timothy, who they picked up in Lystra, or maybe Derby, probably Lystra. And now Luke, who they picked up in probably Troas. Maybe Pisidian Antioch, but probably Troas. So now they got four very prominent people on this missionary team. I mean, Luke ended up writing the third book of the, the third gospel. He wrote the book of Acts. He was quite a, he was a doctor. Some people speculate that Paul took Luke along because of his health was broken. Well, I think that's nonsense. I mean, Luke was the beloved physician. I forgot where that's quoted somewhere. He was the beloved physician, but really, Paul is in poor health. He was whipped 39 times. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked, and he was in bad health. Well, maybe he was in bad health after he got had all that stuff happen to him, but I think somebody's probably in pretty good health to be able to withstand all that and keep on going. His health was not broken by the time he, time he ended up in prison in Rome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we now have... All having received the Macedonian call and the apostles getting ready, making efforts to set out for Macedonia, which we'll read about in the verses to come in Acts 16 in the next audio. We'll start with that. I hope you stay tuned for that. I hope you've enjoyed this audio.